Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90s space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. We are a part of Uncanny Tracks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. How you doing tonight, Matt? Doing pretty well. Uh, looking back, Bob, season two of Babylon 5, way better than season one. Gotta hand it to yeah. you. Yeah, hard to argue, man. Hard to argue. So was this the season where you uh, finally realized that me forcing you to do a podcast about Babylon 5 was not some in-depth, evil core shit to ruin your life? Yeah, show's got me hooked, Bob. Show has me hooked. Already trying to <laughs> sneak my way into season three episodes, but I'm not going to go too far in because I don't want to... Yeah, yeah. I guess the true evil core aspect of my plan is not that I'm forcing you to watch bad TV, but that I'm forcing you to watch great TV one week at a time. You're forcing me to watch it like it's 1993, Bob, and I'm having to wait every exactly, week. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> in our world, Matt, Bill, in our world, Bill Clinton is president and Surge is life. Yeah, Surge. <laughs> uh, man, I wish I, had, I wish I had some Surge. It's early in the morning here. You know, I don't know if I've ever actually had a sip of Surge, Bob. Oh, I, 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 uh, I had some while I was playing soccer as a child, and then I vomited at the, like the <laughs> halftime break or whatever you call it in soccer. Yeah. But, uh, but I got back out on the field, Matt, because I'm not a millennial snowflake. <laughs> for, those, for those of you, uh, you know, that were not around in the 90s, Surge was a soft drink that supposedly turned your pee of toxic colors and was supposed oh, to be yeah, all your yeah. need. <laughs> I forgot about that rumor. I forgot about that rumor. I never got to verify it because, yeah, it didn't make it to my bladder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, par and, and parents would, like, you know, protest it, refuse to uh, give it to their kids. Probably for the best. Probably yeah. for the best. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was supposed to have, like, a lot more caffeine than the other soft drinks available. I'm not... I think that was true to a limited extent, but I think our childish minds maybe exaggerated how much more caffeine it had. I think our moms did as well, but that's beyond the point. All right, let's move on to B. We'll move into B five, Bob. Let's move into B five. All right. So this week, <laughs> instead of uh, doing Babylon five versus uh, Star Trek DS nine, we're gonna take it, take a few minutes, take stock, look back at Babylon five season two, contemplate. You know, to paraphrase a great opening theme song to another science fiction show, what a long uh, road it's been. 
And uh, yeah, you know, we'll see what was the good, what was the bad, what was the ugly. All right, so let's let's get the good stuff out of the way, Bob. Let's talk about the great episodes. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to run us down through your list of uh, what you thought were the great episodes that I uh, mostly agreed with uh, for Babylon 5 Season 2, Matt? Sure. So the first great episode I'm going to talk about is Revelations. All right? Not, not, the, not the season premiere. The second episode in the season, Revelations. For a minute, I was get, thought you were going to say not the book of the Bible. No, <laughs> no Bob. I'm not, I'm not going to go there with this. So... Can, can I make it? Can I make a little aside about that? Sure. I was uh, I was reading uh, Nietzsche last night for my uh, philosophy reading group, and he has a great line about how that it's no coincidence that the apostle who wrote the Book of Love, the, the New Testament, the Book of John, is also uh, rumored, purported, supposed to have written the Book of Hate, the Book of Revelations. Oh. Huh. Well, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> let me tell you the re- my reasoning for picking the second episode as, as the first great episode in this season, Bob. Sure, sure. Hit us. It's when we the chrysalis gets broken apart. We see what's going on with Delenn. We're already introduced to Sheridan, so that was done. We, we got that out of the way in Points of Departure, okay? We mm-hmm. get Garibaldi. Actually, I'm pretty sure that's a Revelations, dog. No, dog, it's not. Points of Departure no, is no. the... No, no. Uh, the sister is in Revelations sister oh yeah 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 we learn a little more about him i'm just saying but we get like his introduction out of the way in points of departure like this is oh, points of departure oh okay the one? okay yeah okay. yeah like yeah, yeah. the whole a, yeah, the yeah. abe lincoln speech and stuff that's points of departure yeah 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 i know what i'm talking about bob i got my b5 down i know what i'm doing <laughs> okay so, okay i thought you were i thought you were saying the sister was in a different <laughs> i didn't say anything about a sister bad, you said bad. something about a sister you can you must have the hots for a sister you want her back on the show roll, don't you her acting roll, was fantastic roll the tape Roll the tape. <laughs> anyway. If we roll Revel- the tape, we will find your error. <laughs> oh, I'll just delete it when I edit it. So what are we looking at? So no, no, leave at, it in. The listeners uh, deserve to know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when looking at Revelations, Bob, I kind of like where season one left off, all those little like cliffhanger type things, like Garibaldi's been shot. Will he survive? What's Delenn doing in the mm-hmm. chrysalis? Well, all that stuff was revealed in Revelations. And mm-hmm. I think that's why this is one of the better episodes. This is a great episode. Uh, honestly, even going back to the you know the original time uh, we actually discussed this episode at the beginning of the season, I-, I said this episode should have been the season premiere. There's just so much, too many great things going on here that it- it's it's important to the whole like plot in itself. I'm not saying skip points in departure, but D- Revelations had some great stuff. I don't know that you can like do do that though, because I think you do have to when you're switching your protagonist, like that you know that had to be addressed, and you know I think points of departure was kind of a uh, it wasn't an evil per se, but it was a, a necessary evil nonetheless. I agree, and I mean I think had Sinclair stayed on, we would not have had points of departure. Yeah, we just yeah. Gone straight if Sinclair, yeah. If Sinclair had stayed on, yeah, you could have just gone straight into Revelations. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I will say it is kind of a baller move to have your season one cliffhanger and then do your season two premiere and just be like, no, not going to resolve any of that yet. You wait till episode two. I'm not saying it works, but I'd say it. I appreciate the audacity. All right. Bob, that was my first great episode. Second great episode, A Distant Star. This is where we have Captain Jack Maynard comes back 
Yeah, yeah. AKA uh, the uh, great uh, psychiatrist from Twin Peaks, Dr. Jacoby. Right. Just everything, the back and forth between uh, he and Sheridan, just awesome stuff. Great episode. And you kind of learn Except a lot for the more. nicknames. Oh, yeah, the nicknames are terrible. What was it like, it wasn't Booger Boy or Stinky. something? Stinky. Stinky, yeah, something weird. But I forget what the other one was, was, but Stinky was one, yeah. But the, you learn a little bit about the uh, what's going on in hyperspace, or is it hype? Not yeah, hyperspace. Is that what I it's think called? hyperspace is right? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not when, totally sure myself, but I think it's, it's when right. You, it's when you learn about all of that stuff, how that works, and just a lot of good information in this episode. And I just like Captain. Yeah, Jack it's kind of cool because you get a better you get a better uh, view of like what the exploratory ships in the Earth Force uh, uh, Navy are like, which is kind of interesting in context, and it's a Nice kind of thing of, oh, this is what Sheridan wanted to do, but instead he's on Babylon 5. And I'm looking at it, yeah, and we're correct. It is hyperspace. Yeah, and it's different from Star Trek, too, the way hyperspace works. Yeah. It's very different, which I, I, I appreciated. It wasn't just some, like, Star Trek. I'd also film. say that um, A Distant Star is written as is a, a couple of season one episodes by Dorothy Fontana, who's a really uh, great and legendary Star Trek writer from the original series. So that's a that's a kind of cool little touchstone about it, too, that I don't think we brought up in our coverage. All right, so next episode after Distant Star, Soulmates. It's a great episode, primarily because of Londo's wives. It was funny. Yep, Londo's wives rule. It was yep. charming. Yep. Great episode. I mean, it's not it's not like one of those heavy-hitting episodes you see, in other, you know, but this one just enjoyed the show made it very different it was almost like a ferengi episode before babylon 5 yeah and then on the maybe less desirable end of it we also meet talia's ex-husband uh but yeah not not really that memorable it's really londo's wives that draw it together uh kind of interestingly of our first three great episodes uh two of them not written by jms this one's written <laughs> by peter david uh, the great, uh, the great Star Trek novelist and great writer of uh, X Factor and other comics. So y'all keep a copy in our comments on Twitter to, to JMS. Let them know. Yeah. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's escalated. Now uh, I, I shared a great Seven of Nine cartoon the other day, and now people are tagging fucking Jerry Ryan on it. It's like leave Jerry Ryan alone. God damn yeah, it. Jer Jerry Ryan is not checking out her Twitter to see what we're, what B Five versus DS Nine is posting or Uncanny Treks is posting. <laughs> yeah. And we're okay with that. More, we are yeah, okay yeah. with that. <laughs> it, there's nothing more cringe than uh, tagging more more uh, famous accounts on Twitter. It's so goddamn cringe. Don't do it. All right. The next episode of Soulmates, Bob. Great episode. Coming of Shadows. And Coming dun, of dun, Shadows. Dun. That's when the uh, Centauri Emperor dies. We have a lot of uh, a lot of plot build up there that's going to lead into some great things down the road. Yeah, and we also get to see um, Jakar's hopes for peace really built up and then just uh, utterly smashed and demolished. Right. Although, to continue to highlight dark sides of great episodes, um, this, I believe, is the episode that introduces us to the Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers. I mean, you, you, you win some, you lose some. I'm just not into these Rangers yet, and... I, I mean, maybe. Are, oh, are don't we gonna worry. Learn... We're going to lose a lot in season three, Matt. We're going to okay, lose... learn a lot more no, about them in season three. They're just three. going to show up. No, we're not going to learn more about them. They're just going to show up a lot and suck. Okay, so they'll be in the background still doing Ranger shit. Or are they going to be like in the forefront? No, no, they're not going to be in the background. They're going to be in the. 
they're going to be in the foreground. You're not going to learn much about them, thank God, and they're just going to suck. Okay. Well, that sounds like, exciting. I don't know. <laughs> All right. After this episode, Bob, next great it's episode. It's really not. It's really not. <laughs> uh, next great episode, Bob, Hunter Prey. And this is when we learn more about Kosh, which is why I thought it was a great episode. We learn more about Kosh, the Vorlon Empire. What do we... Oh, oh, we learn about the organic ship that he yeah. hides the refugee, uh, the the doctor in. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Right. We learn about all. We learn about the ship, the organic technology, all kinds of cool stuff like that. I, any any episode where we're learning more about the Vorlon, I'm happy with. So that's why I added that one. And it kind of it, it seals the uh, the relationship that I think Kosh and Sheridan are going to have going forward. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, yeah. Sheridan's you sound kind of you, call yeah. on Kosh for assistance. Yeah, you sound kind of hesitant about labeling this one as great, Bob. I can hear it in your in your in your voice. No, no, I I'm not I'm not hesitant about it. It's fine. Okay. You, yeah. I think you have uh, higher I think you have higher standards of for greatness than I do. Generally speaking. Gotcha. Uh, Shadow of Zaha Doom, Bob. Best episode of the damn season. <laughs> Spoiler, spoilers for our own podcast. <laughs> Shadow, <laughs> Shadow of Zahadub is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that really brings Sheridan's backstory to a head. It brings Morden and the Shadows to a relative head. Uh, and, and it introduces the Night Watch. Yeah, I mean, once again, you've got, you win some, you lose some. But Shadow of Zahadub with the whole interrogation of Morden, great stuff. Just that, that's the one that made me, that hooked me. I mean, honestly, the Night Watch, I mean, they're evil. They're, they're, reprehensible but i i don't think they make for bad television whereas i think the rangers like affirmatively make for awful television um, I, can, I can agree with that already yes i'm kind of interested in seeing what goes on with the night watch and where this is going to lead whereas with the rangers i'm just like okay these are just the happy good guys that are trying to you know fight the shadows and yeah maybe it's a hodgepodge I, if unless i'm people. forgetting something maybe don't expect the night watch to lead to too much i mean they're just there to kind of demonstrate the growing fascism of earth. Like they don't know the night watch or the night watch itself. As far as I can remember, doesn't really like pay off directly. If that makes sense. All right. So my next episode, Bob divided loyalties, which is the episode where we find out that Talia winters is control. And you have the whole plot mm -hmm. of trying to figure out who the uh, traitor is on the station. Or who yeah. And I, I would say this might be my favorite episode of the season. I say that partially to, you know, just have a different answer from you. And I say it partially because I think uh, I want to put forward the theory that you were too humiliated by um, Ivanova not being the traitor to recognize the true genius of this episode. Ivanova would have been the traitor had the actress playing Talia Winters did not, would not have wanted to leave the, the show. I still stand Brutal. behind that, Bob. Brutal. If, 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 if I, I'm you're, sure if we pull, if we pull the original head. script, if we pulled the original script, mm -hmm. all right, then <laughs> yeah, just leaving it at that, Bob. Now you, before we go into my, to what I believe is my final great episode in our notes, we have here, Bob, that you wanted to add knives to great episodes. Can you tell me why knives should be a great episode? Yeah, you, uh, um, you put knives in the okay or interesting or important without being great. 
I would maybe put it in the great because I think what Knives does for Malari's character is really great. I admit that the, I admit that it borders on cheesy, but I think that the actor Peter Jurassic playing uh, Malari and then the actor playing his old friend um, from the Centauri homeworld do like good enough jobs that they carry through the cheesiness of it and they make Malari having to kill one of his friends to protect his friend. Uh, you know, as a part of his overall ambitions, like really, really uh, full of pathos. So I think Knives actually is a pretty great episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm divided. Also, to fit the earlier, to fit the earlier theme, uh, not written by um, JMS, although it is uh, <laughs> written by Larry Detrillo, who uh, also the other episode he wrote for season two was my pick for the worst episode of season two. All right. Well, and he also wrote TKO, which was, uh, <laughs> I believe, the consensus choice for worst episode of season one. Although he wrote two good ones in season one as well, Death Walker and uh, Born to the Purple, which was the episode that first really kind of introduced us to Centauri culture. So that's kind of a common theme in Larry Detrillo's episodes. I'm pretty sure that TKO is going to be considered like the worst episode of the series when we finally do like a series recap, um, you know, ten years from now. We'll have, we'll have a... Yeah, I'm now, I'm looking back to see what I, did I agree that TKO was the worst or did I try to no, say that something your, else was the your, worst? Yours, your worst, I think we both actually agreed that there was one more worse than TKO. No, I said Believers. <clears throat> believers, Believers, yes. yeah. Believers the is the episode. Science one. Yeah. That's the one we both agreed on was the worst episode. And I think we separated it by like a huge like space before TKO, yeah. so. Yeah. So yeah, you, I think in our opinion, believers bad, will always be but... the worst. But I think in looking at other people, like other other opinions, I think Tico is probably going to be the worst. Like as a consensus amongst viewers, I guess it's also worth pointing out that the uh, believers was also uh, written by somebody else other than JMS. Uh, it was written by David Jared who, I mean, wrote some of the best original Star Trek. He wrote uh, Trouble with Triples, but oh boy, Believers, uh, <laughs> you know, that didn't pull through. Bob, last great episode of this season is the season finale, Fall of Night. Uh-huh. And, I mean, that's just a no shit there. I mean, we, we know that's a great episode. Yeah, it's a good episode, good episode. Really, yeah. really brings things to a head. It'll be fresh in the listeners' minds because we just talked about it last week. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah. All right, so now we're going to talk about the episodes that we believe are just kind of okay. They're not great. Well, but Matt, Matt believes they're okay. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. They're not great. Uh, they are kind of, they probably have some significance or importance to the series. Uh, so it may not be a good idea to skip them. Let me lead off with a, or an accusation. So Matt's saying, you know, we're not saying skip them. We're just saying, you know, know that they're not, they're not necessarily the best. And so, you know, we already covered the real the real premiere of season two, Points of Departure, which, you know, wouldn't have been the premiere if they didn't have to introduce Sheridan. And then uh, I wanted to accuse Matt of having forgotten the next meh movie, which was Geometry of Shadows, uh, which that's the uh, that's the legendary Techno Mage episode. Right. And I and I made it very clear, Bob, that bitch, I didn't. It's there. Yeah, you did. It was not in it was not in the list. <laughs> it, it was, was not in the list. You. I did not change. No, it. it's. It's only in the list because I put it there. Oh, uh, if you oh. want to check the edit history. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, never mind. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Actually, you know. You know what it was, Bob. This. This was my. Okay. You confused so, it with coming of shadows. No. Here's what I did. Oh. 
I, I, the Techno Mage. All right, so we've talked about the points of departure, so I want to move on. The next episode was Geometry of Shadows, and I see what you did. Okay, mm-hmm. you put it in order. So in Geometry of Shadows, with the Techno Mage, I thought he was kind of cool, but the whole rest of the episode I wasn't too thrilled with. So I almost considered putting it in our dumpster fire category, but I was going back and forth. That's why. Oh, you see, we have a hard disagreement here because um, <laughs> I really dislike the techno mages. Yeah. Although I will say, the first time I watched this movie, I absolutely despised the techno mages. I thought they were the worst. Now that I've seen Crusade, the spinoff of Babylon Five, I'm a little softer on the techno mages. Okay. I-, I like them a little more, but. I still don't love them, and I think they're kind of cringe. I think the purple versus green Drazi is fucking great. It's one of my favorite (laughs) B-plots in Babylon 5. It's hilarious. Every time I see a meme about purple and green Drazi, it makes me smile. That that makes me want to put it in the great category, in fact. (laughs) Well, Bob, I... Go ahead and move it to great. Okay, that's fine. I, I will, I'll give you the. I'll give you the purple. Th- yeah. Okay. Since I called you, since I called you a bitch, and you didn't really do it, so we'll put, we'll put it in the great. You didn't need to watch Geometry Shadows, but not because of the. I like the techno mages. I didn't like the Drowsy subplot. Bob liked the Drowsy subplot. Didn't like the Did techno mages. Did not like the techno mages. So we're we're good there, and it's it's worth a watch. All right. We're healing anything, political it, divides. Yeah. This is how we should do it, guys. This is how it works. Compromise. <laughs> All right. So the next episode for OK, you know, was Spider in the Web. And this is the one where we also learn a bit more about Mars and the Martian resistance movement. Not bad, but not necessarily good either. No. No, not, not something you have to watch. Then we have Race Through Dark Places. Which sounds yeah, yeah. cool, but isn't. I mean, it's not. I don't know. Any... I think it's. I mean, I think any episode with Bester is going to be cool, but I think this is one of the weaker Bester episodes. It's the one about the Underground Railroad of Rogue Telepaths. And I, like I said, it's a Bester episode, and so it's definitely worth watching. Any Bester episode is worth watching. But on the other hand, you know, it's one of the weaker Bester episodes. Yeah, and the, and the, the ending is just cringe, like the whole. Yeah, the whole the ending is pretty convenient. Pretty convenient. Yeah, all, all the telepaths holding hands and singing "Kumbaya" and messing with <laughs> Bester's mind. It's, it's a very kind of. I haven't watched much anime, but from what I've been led to understand about anime, it's a very kind of anime ending. Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. Yeah, more in the sense of all the characters grabbing hands and combining their powers than in the yeah. sense of like, oh, it's a convenient out or it's a lazy writing. Right. And I, I get that. I just, I just wasn't into it. Not one of my faves, but it's an okay episode. Nothing you have to watch. All right, next up, Bob, we have All Alone in the Night. Yeah, which you'd originally put in the in the, in the the dumpster fire category, but then you reversed yourself. Right, I had it confused with uh, Acts of Sacrifice. I don't know why in my brain. Ah, yes, yes. That, that's why. So uh, another little spoiler for what's going in the dumpster fire. Um. <laughs> so this is the one where uh, we get um, Sheridan kidnapped oh, by alien greys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pretty interesting episode. Uh, it, it continues the kind of Babylon Five fetish for torturing uh, the leading character, 
And it's also the one where Delenn gets demoted by the Great Council after undergoing her, her uh, transformation. So it's it's a pretty important episode for the Delenn subplot, more so than for the main plot. Well, not just that, too. It's also significant that at the end of the episode, I think that's when like uh, Garibaldi and Ivanova make an alliance like Sheridan tells them up front what's going on. Oh like, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, that's where he forms his little counter conspiracy conspiracy. Yes, correct. So, yeah, I yeah. mean it's it's an okay episode. All right, what's up next? Now for a word, which was a fun little kind of experimental episode where they took us uh, on Babylon Five from the perspective of like a news report, and you had the ISN mm-hmm. reporters asking the main crew members questions and asking the ambassadors questions about what's going on. And you learn a great deal about the backstory of B5. I felt this was an okay episode. Some people love this episode after reading some of the comments, including JMS himself. Apparently he thinks it's the greatest work of genius a TV writer has ever done or some shit. Yes. Yes. He thinks this was amazing and never been done before, but I, I just, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't anything. That, yeah. You know, it's a solid episode. I mean, the main thing I kind of love about it is you see how good Malari is at PR and how bad Jakar is. I've always right. Find, I always find that pretty charming. Yeah. It's not necessary, though. You also, it's still fun. You also learn that the Babylon 5 future is truly dystopian because, like, the CNN aesthetic still exists. It's existed <laughs> for hundreds of years, which, yes. I mean, I just, I can't imagine anything more dystopian, frankly. All right, the next episode we have in the in the okay pile is There All the Honor Lies, which is when Sheridan is accused of murdering a, a Mimbari, and Ivanova is put in charge of the gift shop. <laughs> yeah, this is another Peter David uh, episode, and to be honest, it very much feels like a Peter David Star Trek novel. Like, Peter David Star Trek novels love to have, like, a murder plot or, like, somebody being framed for something. The, I would say the main murder plot is not that interesting. The uh, subplot of Ivanova being placed in charge of the gift shop is hilarious and great. <laughs> also, it's got the, di- the, the digs about DS9 in this episode. That, yeah, is this fun. is the first time like shots are fired against DS9. It may, is it one of the only times, Bob? I think it's one of the only times. Honestly, I'm amazed they waited this long. Maybe, maybe they felt like he needed to have at least two seasons before he could take shots. Otherwise, it would be a little too humiliating. The next episode, Bob, Confessions and Lamentations. This is the one where the Marcab race has a disease that's incurable at this point, And there's a, basically a pandemic on board the station. Yeah, yeah. This is a this good one, episode. I mean, it's not amazing, but it's good. It's a good episode. It's just like a... I don't know, maybe it hit too close to home with what's going on now. <laughs> you get a little character development for uh, Dolan and Lanier. Uh, you know, you kind of get to uh, see their devotion to their religious orders. So that's nice. And then we have Long Twilight Struggle. I mean, it's pretty. It's a pretty vital episode in terms of, like, the plot and bringing the Narn and Centauri War to a head. We kind of get to see more of the consequences of Londo's, uh, you know, deal with the devil with Morden. So it's a, I don't know, I, I could see a stronger case for putting it up in the great category, but it, you know, I, I don't object to it being in the important, but not essential, the, the important and watch, but not like amazing category either. 
Yeah, this is the one where also we we go back to the planet that Babylon Five is uh, orbiting or near. Oh, yeah. Never mind. It it definitely yeah. <laughs> belongs on the, uh, on the on the mid tier. Then if we go back to the Great Machine, those are never great episodes. Yeah, so that's, I think that's that's that was my reasoning for putting it in the okay spot. We go back to the Great Machine. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I was wrong. You were right. My God. <laughs> All right. Next we have comes the Inquisitor. This is the one where we where Jack the Ripper. We find out he is an agent of the Vorlon. Yeah, this will be fresh for um, our listeners. We also uh, see Jakar kind of assert his leadership of, with help from Sheridan, which is a kind of interesting dynamic of Jakar as kind of like a puppet of Sheridan almost. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty good episode. Um, it's a little weird, but it's it's uh, obviously it's essential to watch, and it's a pretty good episode. All right, so that finishes off our okay episodes. Now we're going to talk about the three episodes that go in the dumpster fire. We're, we're jumping on a catapult and we're launching ourselves into a flaming dumpster. Yeah, there are three episodes that are terrible this season. And just, ugh. So we're going to start off with The Long Dark. And The Long Dark is where we have a ship that has several uh, like researchers in cryostasis. The, there's some sort of alien that's taken over their ship and then ends up on the station. But we have Dr. Franklin forming a very, very, very quick relationship, almost on the verge of like, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't call it sexual assault, but what, what would you call it? Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm not a fan of the hyperinflation of terms like grooming in contemporary yeah. discourse where of age people groom each other that doesn't really make sense but i mean in this episode it gets pretty close to that like this woman is has no familiarity with the future she's just woken up she's just found out that her husband who admittedly she was having problems with is dead and franklin is you know just right there doing doing the game run it running his best game on her and it's it's a little cringe uh it pretty ill-advised. I will say, I, I don't think we made the connection in the episode, but as we talk about it a little more abstractly with some distance, it's amazing the connections between uh, Dr. Franklin and Dr. Bashir and inappropriate romance. Oh yeah, I didn't even think, yeah, that's true. We need to talk about that a little more when we get down to characters, but yeah, that's crazy. I did not put that together. Yeah. Why, also, why do they write noting... doctors that way? Is it that they think that doctors are so like, like, why do doctors have to be like so socially inept? I think, I mean, I think there is a long tradition of like sexualizing the the doctor patient relationship. I mean, that's a pretty prominent subgenre of porn. You know, like people, yeah. people. I think people enjoy that. Um, which I mean, obviously, the fact that people enjoy fantasizing about it doesn't make it okay in actual life, but. That it makes uh, for a weird yeah. ass plot in Babylon Five, so yeah, thanks. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it it is it is there. I would say I'm not quite as down on this one as you. I I agree that the Franklin romance is awful. I think the overall plot is fine. I mean it's it's serviceable. I enjoy a cryo ship plot, but I, I don't hate this as much as you did. But I, I see why you hate it. I I, I respect your valid opinion. I I would note that it was written by the I believe the younger brother of Twin Peaks co-creator Mark Frost, Scott Frost. Yes, So that's an interesting little bit of trivia. What's up next? In the dumpster fire, Bob. Next episode of the dumpster fire, we didn't actually, well, we covered it, but then the audio was lost forever, unfortunately. 
Maybe we'll go back and cover it again one day, but Gropers. No, no, we won't because it's the worst. <laughs> we, we, that week, I think we didn't, we cover the worst DS9 and the worst Babylon 5 episode that week. Yeah. Yeah. They're both pretty bad. So it, it, maybe it was yeah. just for the best of the best. Wor- but... Worst of the season, not worst overall. Right. But, but yeah, but... it's Gropos, which if you don't remember is the acronym for Ground Pounders, the Earth Force Marines. Yeah, it's where a bunch of horny Marines come to Babylon 5, and uh, they're about to be shipped out, and yeah. stuff happens on the station that just, it's awful. Yeah, we meet we meet Dr. Franklin's father, uh, who's the general of the Marines. We learn out that he and Garibaldi are pretty soft on sexual assault, which is not great. Um, <laughs> didn't love that. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, Garibaldi... Garibaldi has a brief aborted romance with a married named uh, Dodger, I believe, and he's a real piece of shit to her. Uh, you know, she just wants some good dicking before she goes out, possibly on her last mission. Garibaldi can't give her the good dicking. Instead, he just talks about how much he's in love with uh, Winters. It's uh, it's really not good of Garibaldi. It's, it's a pretty shitty thing. Yeah, and then the the worst part of this episode, in my opinion, was like when the Marines try to are basically implying they're going to rape Delin, and it's really kind yep. of yep. <laughs> and General Franklin and Garibaldi are just like boys will be boys. Yeah, it was awful and bad episode. Gropos, it's going to be right down yeah, there with yeah. uh, with believers and. I will give uh, Gropos credit for one thing though, it's the only good Kiefer episode of the entire season. Because you get you see him forced to uh, share his quarters with uh, two other Marines, and I actually kind of enjoyed the kind of friendship that develops between the pilot Kiefer and the two Marines. I thought that was uh, thought that was a, a good little development. So I will say one nice thing about Gropos: only good use of Kiefer in the entire season. And then the last episode that goes in the dumpster fire, Bob, hit us, Matt. Acts of sacrifice. Oh my God. Yep. The Ivanova subplot, it just ruins this. At first, I I thought you were maybe being too aggressive in putting this one in, and then I remembered it's the one where Ivanova has to to court this uh, social Darwinist alien who, uh, you know, like believes in culling the inferior, and he he wants to uh, have sex with Ivanova to consummate the uh, diplomatic arrangement as is customary among his people. And so Ivanova has to make up uh, elaborate, uh, made up non-sexual rites that she calls earth sex and perform them with him. It's, uh, yeah, I got it. It, I, Believers is still worse, but man, this gets as close to Believers in some ways as anything can. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. Acts of Sacrifice is a terrible episode. It actually is remarkable now that you think about it, like how much some of the worst Babylon Five episodes do hinge on like alien cultural differences. Yeah, we, oh, we man, probably that probably needs to be like a retrospective after we finish the whole thing. Be like, okay, let's look at all these episodes that we hate and what their uh, what the what the theme was. Like, was there a, a, yeah a theme that was similar throughout? This is getting ahead of our skis a little bit, but I mean, I think. I think we both like the character of Dylan fine, but I mean, I think anybody would have to admit that Dylan this season gets just some of the worst material. And a lot of that is also like Minbari struggling to understand earth culture material. So it's cultural divides between humans and aliens are a staple, a space opera, but my God, Babylon five has some bad examples of trying to navigate that. 
All right, so we've, we've gone through, we've, we've given you our great, our okay, and our dumpster fire. Yeah, you want to remind people what your favorite was, Matt? Yeah, my favorite, Bob, I've already said it once, but it's Shadow of Zahadoom. This was a great episode. You learn about Morden, and you also learn a great deal about Sheridan. And that's what I liked about it. Because Sheridan, when he finds out that there's a chance that his wife is still alive out there somewhere, he just pretty much says, you know, fuck it to everything else. <laughs> and I think that shows his character, which I think is really kind of a, a cool aspect to him. You learn a lot about Morden, too. You learn how the shadows operate. Really got me hooked on wanting to watch more of this show. So I think I already said that I might go with Divided Loyalties to have a different answer than you. I really enjoyed that one. That's the one where uh, Talia Winters is the traitor is revealed. Really riveting stuff. I think probably my real favorite is actually Soulmates. I love uh, Malari's three, three Wives, but it's, uh, it's fun stuff. And then I see we've had a surprising uh, revision in the chat. Yeah, Bob, I forgot. <laughs> Apparently, I guess I left off Acts of Sacrifice when earlier, but yeah, Acts of Sacrifice is my least favorite episode. Yeah, you were you were going to say Long Dark, but now but, the it, the traumatic memory of the Ivanova subplot has moved you over. Correct, yes. Acts of Sacrifice is my least favorite episode of season two. So I think there are aspects of Acts of Sacrifice that aren't so terrible, like you have a Jakar plot that's not that bad. So I, I'm going to give it to Gropos. Uh, I really, really hated that episode, uh, <laughs> even though I, and I'm glad, we, I'm kind of glad we lost our coverage of it. But yeah, no, I, I respect your uh, hate for Acts of Sacrifice. It's certainly uh, well-earned. So given that you're sort of our uh, novice viewer, Matt, you want to kind of walk people through what your thoughts about Morden and the Shadows, which is, you know, appropriately enough, the kind of big theme this episode or this season, since the season is entitled The Coming of the Shadows? Yeah, so all right, here's my understanding of the Shadows and Morden. Morden is an agent of the Shadows, and he was on the same ship as Sheridan's wife. And I think that we may find out later on in future seasons that Sheridan's wife could also be an agent of the Shadows. There was that whole piece that was built in there for that. So do you think you've seen like something out of context that suggests that? Or is that just you making a, you making a guess about where the show seems likely to go? Okay. I mean, I'm making a guess, but at the same time, I feel like there's a whole piece there that if they were not go along with the Shadows, they were probably killed. But if they do, they become an agent of the Shadows, just like Morton. I just kind of think maybe if Anna wanted to survive, then that's what she would do. Um, mm -hmm. but I think it's really, really cool. Just cool in general. Like the, the, the 10 year old me thinks it's awesome that like Morden walks around with like shadows in tow all the time. Like, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. We find that <laughs> out this season. One of my unanswered questions though, and this also kind of pertains to the Anna thing is that does Morden actually retain his former personality? Like, is that how he acted when he was not being uh, an agent of the shadows? Or is he more like a puppet of the shadows at this point? You know, is he a hustle? Or is he mind-controlled? I'm not super sure. And I think there is a prequel novel about the ship Morden and Anna were on. And that prequel... I, I, I think that prequel novel has a good reputation. And it might, give you, it might give you kind of more concrete answers about what Morden was like beforehand. When I first watched the show, I had the impression that Morden was basically just a shadow who had assumed a human form or who'd taken on a human husk. I think mainly because of that, that scene where like 
he's, you know, just standing in his quarters, kind of communing with the shadows. Mm-hmm. But on the rewatch and like talking to you and to uh, my friend JR, I more get the impression that no, Morden is still himself and he's just in service to the shadow. That's what I think now is that he's still himself and he's just in service. Kind of like uh, Jack the Ripper is still himself and is serv- in service to the Vorlon. Okay. See, okay, because what I'm thinking is if for some, if somehow Anna and Sheridan ever reunite in a future season, is he going to be able to, is he going to know the Anna that he meets or is she just going to be like a shadow in a human body? I guess that's kind of what I'm leaning toward. Yeah, it's an interesting speculation. All right. Let's talk about surprises in this season, Bob. Uh, the yeah, biggest yeah. surprise that I noticed that, that just blew my mind was the Kosherville at the end of this season that we finally find out what his actual true form is. I thought that was going to drag on for several yeah, more seasons. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had Google kind of ruin this for me, uh, <laughs> but I thought I was, but I figured I was looking at something from like season four or season five, not season two. That, that was a huge surprise. And my other surprise too, is I'm surprised how much I like Sheridan in this season, considering the first season was nothing but Sinclair. Yeah, they do a really good job of building Sheridan up from, you know, a lot less to start with than, because, you know, you already have a season of, like, Garibaldi and Ivanova and Franklin, but they, I mean, granted, it does help that Sheridan is the lead of the show, but, yeah, they really build him up very well. In some ways, they actually realize him better than Sinclair was realized, and I think on some level that has to do with the quality of acting, but I don't think it's just acting. I think, like, kind of on the second try, JMS and the other writers kind of did some more interesting things with Sheridan than, than they were doing with Sinclair. Any surprises for you, Bob? Yeah, yeah. I was really surprised by Talia um, being the traitor. That that really surprised me the first time I saw it. I think I, if I remember right, and I think I said this on our coverage of Divided Loyalties, I think I did guess it in episode but uh, because they were foreshadowing it pretty heavy in the episode, but I did not guess it before the episode. It was a complete shock. And I'm also, I was pretty surprised the first time I watched this by the Kosh reveal. I will say I'm very glad they didn't keep uh, their powder dry on Kosh. It was very good to kind of get him out in the open pretty early. So you have a sense of what the stakes of the Vorlons versus the Shadows are. If you kind of kept him more mysterious i think in some ways that would kind of like deny you a little bit of uh a little bit of a root or a little bit of an anchor in watching the vorlon shadow conflict let's talk about most interesting character or best developed character yeah who was yours Matt? all right bob hands down it's jacar but if i had to go for an if i had to offer an alternative i'd say it's malari jacar malari this was their season for character development I think it's pretty much all the answers to this is pretty much always going to be Jakar and Malari. Like, I think we can just kind of stipulate that like, like all the way season, through every, through every yeah, season, every, oh, wow. every season. I think the answer is going to be <laughs> Jakar and Malari because they, they were our answers for season one, right? Yes. Yeah. And so if we stipulate that it's always going to be Jakar and, and like when I podcasted with JR about season one, Jakar and Malari are his picks too. I think it's just always going to be Jakar and Malari. But who who would you go for, and who would I go for if we went past Jakar and Malari? 
I mean, I'd probably have to give it to Sheridan just because you learned so much about him and he just seems to be like I like like I said earlier, I feel like I was such a Sinclair fan and now I'm like, oh, well Sheridan's got some cool stuff going on too. He's interesting. He's got a, a, a very you learn so much about his background and yeah. he develops throughout the season into someone who is almost completely different than he was in the beginning. You learn there's all these different little like areas of shades of gray with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I find I find Sharon pretty interesting. I will say it's hilarious though that Delin. You would think like her becoming this human Membari hybrid that would be something you know that would that was a huge development, but it really wasn't interesting. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, man. Like I Delin is a great character, but she is put in some of the worst situations in the show, especially in this season. I think it yeah. gets I, I think it's better after this season, if I remember right, although I might be wrong about that. And I I don't know. I, I actually think the turning her into a human Minbari hybrid is a, a really bad story move and I kind of I really wish the show hadn't done it. I really wish it had kept her as a Minbari. Like there are good thematic reasons that like if you once you get through season three, you'll kind of see like an interesting thematic reason why they did it. But still, I don't know if the interesting parallelism like really works. Yeah, Delin's great, but this is not her season. And no, I, I think you're probably right about Sheridan. Like, it's really amazing how... I, I can't think of another example off the top of my head of a character who, like, replaces the leading role in a TV show in the second season and then just so quickly makes it their own. I love Sheridan and, uh, as a conspiracy theorist. Um, you know, you, like, you've really emphasized, like, the kind of tragic backstory with Anna... He's just a really good character. Uh, to give a different answer than you, though, I might go with Ivanova. I mean, like Delenn, she got some pretty bad subplots this season, but it was a pretty good uh, season for developing her character. I I really did like the relationship with Winters, and I wish they'd been able to pursue that more freely if it weren't for like early 90s uh, cultural limitations. And uh, I also do like how they kind of pay off like the telepath thing. Like they kind of... They kind of advance her attitudes about telepathy and her own latent telepathic abilities. They don't just keep it as like a kind of one note thing that they keep coming back to. All right, Bob, we're going to talk about least favorite character, and we're just going to count down to three and say it. Ready? Three, two, one. Kiefer. Keffer and Delenn. <laughs> I'm going with Keffer. Keffer is the worst character ever. I, I, he's yeah, awful. Yeah. He had that, he had that one good. Um, one good episode in Ground Pounders, but otherwise really bad. Um, I I didn't notice this, and I didn't hate him as much the first time I watched it, but your hate has been kind of infectious, and I've noticed both how bad uh, the writing of his stuff is and, frankly, how bad the acting is in a lot of it. Not that the actor was given much to work with, but it's some really bad acting. So, yeah, Keffer's really bad, and we've... We've already kind of talked about Delenn's issue of being a great character just in unfortunate circumstances. Let me tell you that I knew I was going to hate Keffer in one of the very early episodes of the season. He was sitting with like the main crew and had never been around them before. That's when I knew yeah. I was going to hate that dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, if it makes you feel any better, you know, he is dead, and so we can celebrate that. But in season three, they replace him with a character who I think is a thousand times worse. Oh, shit. Well, I got yeah, that to look forward yeah. to. 
Wait, did, yeah. did they just yeah. give like did they just give JMS like these uh, demands of, like you have to include this dude in? Oh here? no, it's worse. The guy JMS replaces Keffer with he likes and thinks is cool and wants to write. Oh, it's God. so much worse. It's so much worse, my friend. Like, right. <laughs> well. steal yourself, steal yourself. Maybe hope, I, my hope is that I, I'll kind of like with Rom. I'll hype my hate for Marcus up so much that you won't <laughs> you won't actually think it's that bad when you get to it. But okay. oh my god, he's so bad. Is he a ranger? Is that what he is? Yes. You said his name. Yes. So I think yeah, I'm more okay. Marcus. Yeah. All right. So. I, isn't he in the the season three premiere or no? Uh, yeah, he's in the season. Yeah, I think he debuts in the season three premiere. I don't want to say Rock. Who's the dude from uh, Princess Bride, Montego, whatever? Oh yeah, in Inigo Montoya. Yeah, he gives me he gives me some like of those kind of vibes. I think it's just the hair and the look, but the mustache. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah. All right, so let's talk your favorite major power. Well, before we okay. before we go to favorite favorite major power, um, I did also want to say it wasn't a good Garibaldi season. Garibaldi is kind of a fraught character, and you know. Just wasn't a great Garibaldi season. You know, he was creeping on winners a lot. Wasn't great. Bob, when it comes to your favorite major power, Mimbar, Vorlon, Centauri, Earth, Narn, who's your favorite? I really like the Narn. The Narn are cool. Their ships are cool. It's always nice to sympathize with the underdog. Uh, I also think the Centauri are really cool, but they're also kind of like Nazis, and so you can't really say that the Nazis are your favorite major powers. So I'll go with the underdog. Uh, the Centauri, or the Narn are great. I'm digging the Vorlon this season, Bob. Learned a lot about them. Some weird shit, but I think they're pretty cool. The Vorlon are cool. I, I was kind of tempted to put them in the category of least favorite just because, I don't know, you know, you, the whole Jack the Ripper thing. Not Maybe not in the sense that they're bad, just in the sense that they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're insidious uh, with Jack the Ripper. I was tempted to put them in my least favorite category, but... I don't think I'll go with the Vorlon as my least favorite. I think I'll agree with your assessment of the least favorite. Yeah, my least favorite Bob is the Mimbari in the season. I just cannot get behind any of their plots. Yeah. And even the Grey Council stuff, I was just like, eh. This is... <laughs> yeah. Not as cool as the first season. The Minbari band, they, they, they're not great. Um, you're going to really enjoy in the middle of season four when an otherwise great season just grinds to a halt for a Minbari plot. Oh, <laughs> like it's like three or four episodes if my memory is right oh god yeah, I really like the Minbari stuff in the first season this season it's just not as it, it doesn't seem as great there's just something about it I, I can't even really tell you what it is do you think it's just the kind of ridiculous thing of like I don't know how to I don't know like the words to put on this trope but there's the trope where like aliens can only be one thing and the Minbari just do it to such a ridiculous extreme. It's like, not that the Minbari rarely lie, it's that they never lie. It's not that the Minbari, like, rarely have interpersonal violence, it's that they never have inter it's they never have interpersonal violence. That's probably it, yes. I, I could see that being an issue. I mean, the only character, the only Minbari I actually kind of like is, uh, you know, Bill Moomy's character. You 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 at this point you would say you affirmatively don't like Dylan. I mean, in this season, no, I don't. I, Dylan is just kind okay. of she's just kind of a carryover from season one after she but got you out did, of the chrysalis. She's just but you did like she, her in season one. Yeah, she was all right in season one. I mean, it wasn't anything great. Okay, like, don't quote Dylan's, me on that. <laughs> yeah, Dylan's got some cool stuff 
coming that makes her i that i hope that raises your estimation of her a little yeah lanier I'm not, L- lanier that's the dude's name i don't know why i cannot i can't yeah Mimi's character lanier yeah yeah i'm not a big lanier fan myself that we'll we'll we'll, we'll have plenty of time later in the show to talk about that <laughs> all right so all let's, right. let's 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 get into the, to the meat and potatoes of this whole podcast bob we want to talk about things that are commonalities between babylon 5 season 2 and then Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay? Or just Star Trek as a whole. Star Trek in general, yeah, we can look at that too. But let's talk about characters first. All right. If you were to compare Sheridan and Cisco, and you kind of look at both have that same background where they thought they were going to be like these space foreign adventurers and going out on ships, but they end up becoming like administrative diplomats on a space station. Pretty similar, don't you agree? Yeah, yeah. Although... I don't know how much does Cisco ever talk about wanting to be an explorer. I don't well, know. There's like, an episode dedicated called Explorers, and the man built his own ship. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's not like he wants to go out and explore uncharted territory. It's like he gets a hobby for building Bajoran sail ships and like wants to take like a three week journey. You know, it's not like a it's not really it's not quite the same thing as like what Sheridan wants to. You know, how Sheridan wants to be like Jack Maynard. But didn't they have, like, the same kind of conversation between Cisco and Cal Hudson, though? Like, wasn't there something similar? Or am I just making I, that up? I agree with you that there's very similar dynamics to how the show gives you the old friends of Cisco and Sheridan. So you have Jack Maynard as, like, the old friend and rival for Sheridan and Cal Hudson uh, for Cisco. Although, granted, it goes in a lot different directions where right. Cal Hudson joins the Maquis. But I can't remember a specific conversation uh, between Cisco and Hudson. That that doesn't mean like like you're describing. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. But I don't remember it. For some reason, I feel like there was a whole thing of Cal Hudson was telling Cisco, you know, oh, you, you could have been a captain exploring the the great unknown, and now you're you know, stuck here on the station. But I don't know. Maybe Cisco's I'm, such a family man, and like seems to have wanted to you know, spend, he seems to like, he prioritizes Jennifer and Jake above all. Whereas like Sheridan, like loved Anna, but he seemed to, he seemed, they both seem to prioritize their careers. And, you know, he like, now he just kind of regrets it now that Anna's dead. Yeah. But here's the thing. Had Jennifer not died, do you think Cisco would end up on DS9? Um, yeah, I think that might be the type of thing he still might do if like, because I, I can't remember what profession Jennifer has or if that was ever said on the show. But, I mean, it's definitely the type of posting that he could have taken her to. Like, she was on whatever the Miranda-class ship, you know, the Cisco's were all on at the Battle of Wolf 359. So, yeah, I could definitely see Cisco taking DS9. Well, if anything, though, Bob, you got to admit they both have a dead wife. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I mean, I'm not disagree. I'm not disagreeing with you that there's a... I think there are a lot of similarities here and a lot of kind of similar dynamics. And some of that is, I think, just the fact that they're both protagonists of a show that has to produce 24 stories or 22 stories a year. And so, you know, things like tragic backstory and old friend really help you flesh that out. But no, there, there's, there's a resemblance that goes beyond just them being leading men and... Uh, I, I'm just specifically disagreeing about the spacefaring adventure yeah. part to a degree. Yeah. So then we can kind of move into like some of the politics here. Like you got the death of Kaiopaka, the death of Baril in season two, and then you can kind of compare that to the death of the Centauri Emperor, 
because both lead to some civil unrest amongst their, you know, people. And then there's this political rivalry between, uh, you know, Tennant and Kai Wynn that we see in season three of DS9. You can kind of compare that to like what's going on with Malari and Lord Rifa right now. Yeah, I think all these are like good comparisons and 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 like well well thought about. I I don't think I would go so far as to say any of them are very similar, but I think they're good points of comparison that you bring. Yeah, I mean, because you are talking about a show that kind of just has that same you know political intrigue type stuff going on. You can't you can't get away from that really if you yeah. have multiple alien species and multiple you know multiple characters yeah. involved. Um, but I just think like the content of the political intrigue is pretty different. Like it, it is, yeah, you're, yeah, because you're you're like on the cusp of a Bajoran civil war in DS Nine, whereas like ultimately, and maybe this is me knowing what's coming is coloring this a little bit, but like Malari is ultimately just going to get sidelined by Lord Rifa, right? It's like Malari sets Lord right. Rifa in motion, and then he's just kind of sidelined by him. Yeah, and we kind of saw that in the last episode. Well. Actually, I have to go yeah. back. I think it was actually in the. I think you may be getting ahead here. So season three, episode, uh, season three, episode one, uh, you really learn that Rifa has kind of come into uh, contact with Morden in the shadows. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, not even. I don't even mean that specifically. I mean it just at the point where like Malari is like being a restraining influence on Lord Rifa, uh, right. or just kind of being very unenthusiastic about like the war crimes that the Centauri do to the Narn homeworld. All right. One big thing we have here, Bob, that I, I that came to me it was that the shadows and the changelings are very similar, and that they both can hide in plain sight. Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna see a big piece of that in DS Nine season four. But you know, mm -hmm. who's a changeling? Who's not a changeling? Which I yeah. feel like we're going to start to see with the shadows as well, you know, just being able to hide right there. It's interesting because, I mean, at the risk of negative spoilers, um, the changelings, like, as we saw in the season three finale of DS9, there's a real infiltrator plot with them. And the shadows don't really do that in the same way. They're, the Even though, like, Morden is lurking around always with shadows with him. It never is like, oh, the shadows are spying on people exactly. It's more just like they're manipulating people, they're making offers to people, they're shaping them. Mm -hmm. They're not they're not quite like espionage driven in the same way that the changelings are, which is interesting. So the changelings are shaping themselves, Bob, whereas the shadows are shaping other people. No, you Please. should cut that. That's awful. <laughs> uh, also you should you should hit yourself. I mean, I, I I would hit you, but you know, I'm, I'm uh, 1,500 miles away, so you, you should hit yourself for that's that. Why we, that was that's really why that's really bad. That's why we do this podcast, Bob. No, no, that that from, was bad. From, I just dis, I disavow from sea that. to shining sea. <laughs> so let's talk first ones, Bob. We've got the first ones in Babylon Five. Have, so we the first ones have been mentioned already. Yeah, there was a whole piece like uh, talking about like they they mentioned the first ones, uh, Delinda, several times. About the shadows in, being in what? one of the first ones, and then okay, okay, the Vorlon that's the also, which it yeah, is. the Vorlons also being considered, okay, okay, yeah. I didn't realize that had already been established. Okay, so we already yeah. know that the Vorlons and the shadows are are some of the first ones. Okay, yes, yes, that was mentioned by Delin, and then you have the founders in DS Nine, who are the founders of the Dominion. I thought that was kind of there's some similarities there. Yeah, although the like the significance is pretty different though, because it's like. 
the founders are just a synonym for the changelings, right? And it just right. kind of refers to their political structure, their political role in the structure of the Dominion. Whereas, yeah, the first ones is more of like a kind of class, a class of different types of alien species. And we, some of the other, the older entities, like the one we saw in season one that um, uh, Sinclair's girlfriend, Catherine, w ran into, I think you could consider those first ones as well. Okay. All right, so another thing I want to talk about real quick is that both Season 2 and Season 3 of DS9 do not focus so much on Cisco being the emissary. In fact, I think there's only really one, maybe two episodes where we talk about him, you know, where there's he a, actually pulls... There's at least one in DS9 Season 3, and then I, I can't remember about Season 2 off the top of my head. Yeah, and the one in Season 3 is kind of him just trying to decide, like, whether or not he needs to, you know, pull some strings as the emissary to get... Uh, to stop something, I don't remember specifically what it was, but but I feel like this fits nicely with Sinclair's departure because I feel like he was filling that role as like the one, and mm -hmm. and you don't see that so much now that Sheridan's on board. Don't worry, you're gonna see Sheridan take on emissary like characteristics soon enough. Oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess maybe not see, soon. You'll, but you'll soon see Cisco enough. do the same thing. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. That'll be that'll be interesting to uh, to talk about. And then, yeah, you brought this up, and I thought it was pretty good to think about like Eddington and Zach Allen as yeah, you know, they're both new characters. They're both like the extra security character. They you know they both exist to be a little bit of a foil. So Eddington is a kind of a foil or a rival to Odo. Allen right. is an underling and a little bit of a kind of chiller foil to Garibaldi. And you, I don't know, I always get the impression that Alan is a little bit of a fuck up, mm -hmm. whereas Eddington is, you know, more put together, more by the books, more ambitious. But uh, it is uh, it is kind of interesting to compare them. I mean, I certainly can see Eddington joining a fascist vigilante group to advance his career. That's certainly something he might do. Uh, Spoiler is it's something he does much later in the show. <laughs> All right. So let's talk setting for a second, Bob. And this, this, let's do this quickly. But. Space stations are like both space stations are considered like commerce hubs in these series, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So when you think of where we are at now with space stations, you know, with Star Lab, the International Space Station, all of these things, it's all scientific research. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I grant mm -hmm. granted that we haven't had first contact with any extraterrestrials. Do you think the evolution of like our floating space stations will be more like the Promenade or the Zuccolo, or do you think they're going to continue to be centered on science? or military outpost? Uh, I mean, I'd prefer it if we went the science route, but uh, I don't think uh, we're going to. I think if we do have space stations, they'll probably, at this you know at this point, I would guess they'd probably be commercial stroke military. However, I, I'd also point out that I, uh, I don't think humanity is going to survive more than a couple more centuries before environmental catastrophe or nuclear war uh, either drives us to extinction or you know, drives us uh, to a greatly reduced quality of life, at least. See, I, I, I just don't see, I don't see us moving in that direction. But when you come to the space station, you've got your ops on DS9, your CNC on Babylon 5. You've got your promenade on DS9, your Zuccolo on Babylon 5. The only thing really unique to B5 is down below. You don't have that on DS9. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, that's because whereas Babylon 5 is a dystopian future where a capitalist democracy is uh, degenerating into fascism 
And so you still have like really brutal class divides in that capitalist democracy. You know, Star Trek is set in this sort of post-scarcity socialist utopia where, you know, there are no classes and thus there are no down belows. I will say it is interesting given that both shows emphasize the commercial angle, but on uh, DS9, you have Quark to be like the character who's like the face of commercial relations on the station, whereas you don't have quite a similar figure on Babylon 5. Malari maybe sort of fills that role in season one with, you know, his gambling and his schemes, but as he gets more caught up in the shadow plot and the war, that kind of falls to the side. So you don't really have like a commercially focused character on Babylon 5, which is interesting even though babylon 5 ultimately is a lot more driven by commerce and class divisions than star trek yeah when i was thinking about this i thought the exact same thing so i was trying to think all right, who would quark be on babylon 5 and there really isn't a character See, season one that... malari but not not really it's not not malari after season one and and because one, one more thing i want to say about setting bob before we, we go any <laughs> further all right the wormhole and the jump gate are like the same damn thing and even the way they show it in the opening oh, they're credits. Not the, they're not the same. Well, I, I mean, visually the way, they're similar, yeah, but yeah, well, conceptually they're very distinct. That's what I mean. Visually, they are the same damn thing. Because they show, it kills me, they show the the wormhole in the DS9 in, uh, opening credits. They show the wormhole at the very end. It opens and shuts. All right. Then they show the damn jump gate in the, op- in the introductory credits of uh, Babylon 5 Season 2. It's the same thing. It opens and shuts. I mean, yeah, it, it yeah. couldn't Visually, get any more like it could not get any I mean, more similar at that point. No, it could get no. There, there's a lot of differences. I mean, the jump gate is a wholly artificial structure, and it's also like common. Yeah. I get that, but vi- but visually, it looks the same damn way. Like they look this, it's yeah, the same yeah. idea. It's a damn space station hovering around a big hole in space, and then <laughs> it's like yeah. So so I just want to point that out with a setting piece is that. They need to switch up their. I don't know if I can't remember what the intro looks like in uh, season three, but to me, like they're they're just way too similar because they both both introductions end with that jump gate wormhole opening. Um, all right, so now we're gonna hit plot. Okay, Bob, I'm all gonna right. read. I'm gonna read you what was written on the back of season two's DVD for Babylon Five. You ready? Hit me. Though Babylon 5's mission of peace continues, war appears to be imminent. And there is a dangerous new power in the galaxy that even that few even suspect exists. Amid the heightening tensions, the complex relationships among the major powers are shifting in unpredictable ways. All right, can you replace Babylon Five with DS Nine, and that still makes sense? Uh, mostly. Some a few of the points of emphasis are a little wrong or getting a little ahead of it for DS Nine, but yeah, I mean broadly, yeah, it's very very similar. Yeah, I, I just I, when I read, that, I was like, "Wow, that sounds just like DS Nine, but with like, <laughs> yeah." You just plot wise, Bob, did you notice anything that you were like, "Okay, this is very similar to Star Trek"? Um, uh, not not out? specific to this season. I mean, in general, like all of these similarities of you know a sort of evil nemesis power, and then like fighting among the other powers. You know, that's mm-hmm. pretty common to both shows and. Yeah, there's there's the other similarities of like the emissary figure and stuff like that, but I mean nothing nothing like specific to Babylon Five season two really jumps out at me. Yeah, I feel plot wise, there's just a lot of political intrigue and you have war going on around a space station. You know what I mean? It's just 
Yeah, and we're not even really to the war yet in DS9, although we will be uh, We will be early in Season 4. Right. So let's talk, any connections between B5 Season 2 and other television shows from that time? Uh, we, we keep having some X-Files notes. Um, you know, we had a full-on alien abduction episode this season, and then a few of the the musical score touches uh, throughout the season seemed X-Files-y to me. And then obviously with, you know, the sort of fantasy of like, oh, there's a, you know, there's a whole conspiratorial deep state that, you know, killed the president or is suppressing knowledge about alien life. But, you know, what what the answer to that is a counter conspiracy within the deep state, you know, whether of the military or whether the <laughs> FBI and the good people in the deep state will uncover what the bad people in the deep state are doing. So there's a there's a lot of interesting little X-Files uh, connections in that way. Yeah. And I still get Twin Peaks vibes every time there's a dream, dream sequence. Like I feel like I was ripped yeah. straight from Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, no, some of the dream the the dream sequences and then some of the nightlife stuff in the Zocalo, although not like I don't know, there's there's just a kind of like nineties surrealism to it that reminds me of the Roadhouse in yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah, I see and that's just something you have you have to have seen both shows to know what we're talking about. But yeah, I get the same vibe. I think that was just how the nineties. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I guess we could also say that like there's Jack the Ripper does give you a little bit vibes from Bob uh, in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And I mean, there's also the kind of, there is the way that the Vorlon and the shadows kind of resemble like the light and the dark powers in Twin Peaks that are kind of like shaping human relations. I could see that. Especially that comes out maybe a little more explicitly in The Return than it did in the original show. How does uh, we talked a lot about really liking Sheridan this season, but how does he stack up for you against Sinclair and the Star Trek captains? All right, Bob. If I had to give my captains a rank, I've got Cisco number one, Picard, Kirk, Janeway, Sheridan, Sinclair, Freeman from Lower Decks, Burnham from Discovery, Archer last. Archer's always good last. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, that's 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 respectable. That's respectable. I would say Cisco number one, Janeway number two, Picard number three, although give it time and Picard season two might knock him further down. Um, Freeman number four from Lower Decks, Kirk number five, Sheridan number six, Burnham number seven, Sinclair number eight, although man, the last uh, disco episode may is tempting me to put Sinclair above Burnham. And then after Sinclair or Burnham, a vast, vast, unbridgeable chasm of quality, and then Archer from Enterprise. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Archer have become very <laughs> similar. You just have a lot more uh you have a lot more respect for Captain Freeman. I just don't have that. Oh, right she's now. hilarious. I love her. Um, <laughs> I a lot more love there. All right. She's so, great. She's great. I mean Kirk Kirk is good, but he's he he's a little bland. And there, Kirk Kirk doesn't have a single relationship that's as funny as uh, Freeman's relationship to Mariner. All right, so we want to talk about predictions, Bob. Yeah, yeah. What I I don't really feel like I can weigh in on this since I've already seen the show, but right, you so haven't. So what let, are your me, predictions for season three? Let me give you a little idea of what I think is going to happen. All right. So based on the visions from both season one and season two, you know all these like visions they uh, the main characters tend to have. We're eventually going to see Malari physically fight Jakar, all right? And we're still waiting mm-hmm. for that scene where Malari is looking up at the shadow ships flying overhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that's going to happen at some point because mm-hmm. all these other visions have come true. Mm-hmm. 
I still want to know more about Zathras and whatever happened to Babylon 4 because mm-hmm. I, that hasn't been answered. Zathras was mentioned in, by the, uh, the Great Machine in that episode. Now that the shadow ships have been exposed by ISN, like I'm wondering if they're going to start uh, directly attacking the Earth Force since it was mentioned multiple times by Delin and by uh, Kosh that like awareness of the shadows is what actually led to escalation in like their previous encounters. So I think the shadows are probably going to attack directly. And I think that also is going to go back to a scene in season one where we saw something attacking Babylon five and they all had like rifles and armor and stuff. And they were Mm, like mm. breaking into Babylon five. I feel like that's coming soon because the shadows are now kind of been, they've been outed at this point. Am, Am I getting somewhere with this or? Yeah. Yeah. You're getting somewhere. Um, I will say, I don't remember that uh, Babylon 5 being attacked vision, but I don't think it's necessarily going to get fulfilled in the way you think it is. Okay. And then I think you're also going to be really surprised with how the Jakar and Malari relationship evolves. And you're going to be, I think, surprised, maybe not as surprised, but a little surprised with how the relationship between um, the shadows and earth force um, evolve. And then I think you will be gratified. I mean, I, I think you go ahead and say this. I think you kind of already knew it, that um, you're going to find out a lot more about Babylon four in season three. And then let's see, I think that's, Oh, if I remember right. And it, you, again, it's kind of interesting that like, my the things I say in response to this always has to be cautioned by the fact that my memory is not good. But I don't think you're going to get that Malari looking up scene for a long, long time. I, all I know is I've, I've watched the season three premiere, and uh, Malari does ask asks specifically ask Morden about his ships. So I figured maybe we would get something earlier on. Oh, they, I didn't realize they were setting that up that early. That's very I mean, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He asks him okay. like, what it, what exactly are these things that are you know that are aiding aiding us to win the war? Maybe 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 that happens sooner than I think, but I still kind of think it's much later. We need like a running uh, a running tally of how often this happens because a lot of things you think happen later in seasons happen <laughs> in earlier seasons. <laughs> what are okay. what are the other examples? Can you remember any offhand? Some about the one of them was Delin and coming out of her chrysalis. You thought it was like early. You thought it was like late season two, and it was like the second episode. I, I didn't. I didn't think it was late <laughs> season two, but I, I think I maybe thought it was like episode four or five. Oh, yeah. That's just I, one I, example I, I can think of. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure there are others. Right. But I'm not going to go back and listen to all our podcasts to see. <laughs> What we it's it's the greatest podcast in the world, Matt. Why 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 are you not willing to re-listen to it, you son of a bitch? And if you're not willing to re and if you are not willing to re-listen to this podcast, please remember that you can go to patreon.com slash uncanny tricks and listen to Wait, that, our... the setup for that didn't make sense. <laughs> let let, uh, let me try. Let me try. try so if you want to re-listen to the greatest podcast in the world over and over again. And if you want to listen to the greatest <laughs> podcast in the world's sibling podcast, X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, then, dear listener, please go over to patreon.com slash uncanny tricks. Oh, uh, anything else we need to cover on the Babylon 5 season two front, Matt? That's about it, Bob. I think we, we covered it pretty in depth. And 
some would say even too in depth. Some might say. Yeah, I think we we we've reached uh, was it lurker levels at this point. <laughs> oh God! Oh God! All right. So this has been uh, the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great '90s space station shows, Babylon Five versus DS Nine. We are a part of Uncanny Tracks, uh, but today we were just talking about Babylon Five season two. I am Bob from Cascadia. That is Matt from the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening.